on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 5th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And as always, there's a lot of variables at play. And we only have about four weeks left in the year, and only less than three weeks left until Christmas. So we obviously have the trade war still in the top of everyone's mind, and only 10 days left until those potential tariffs, they'll be more broad-based, actually hit. And the big question is, will we actually hit that time frame without a deal? And that's, I think, the biggest story in the market today, right now. And you're seeing a lot of gyrations based on it. And it's something everybody should be watching. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today. I hope you will call me with your investing questions and when and if you make that call, I can better help you in particular shape this show to your advantage. Now, remember, our goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. Everyone's different. And we do that with philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This is not CNBC, once again, not here to push a narrative. I'm just here to give a fact or two, hopefully. So in this hour, I want you to give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, Steve is up in San Jose connecting no-cost portfolio reviews for InvestTalk listeners and KP financial clients. And in case you haven't heard yet, Steve will be scheduling two more consultation trips for January. He'll be in Dallas on January 24th and then back in New York due to strong demand on January 27th and 28th. So if you want to sit down and meet with him, you can do that. And you can learn more at investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns corporate American debt load. It's nearing 47% of the overall economy, which is dangerously high. And the IMF is sounding the alarm bells. And since the financial crisis in 2008, corporations have been adding massive amounts of debts in their balance sheet in order to buy back stock, pay big bonuses through stock option grants. And the IMF is worried that this ballooning figure will worsen any future economic downturn, whenever that is. And we've already started a minor one, and the big question is, we're all trying to answer is, is this the beginning of a broad one or just another slowdown like we saw in 2015 and 16? So I'm going to break down that story. Also, earnings. Earnings on corporations down three quarters in a row. And there's now a dangerously high percentage of the S&P 500 that is now in negative year-over-year earnings growth. So we're going to touch on that story as well. Let's touch on the market today. We had a very, very kind of boring day, to be honest with you. It was a modest up day. S&P was up 
20 basis points, same as small caps. The NASDAQ was up about 17 basis points. Very, very modest up day. It was down in the morning. Slow rally. I think uh, the market's starting, I think, to enter a consolidation phase, either bullishly or bearishly. I think we're on hold until there's a resolution and see whether we actually implement the tariffs. You know, after today, the close today, there's only six more trading days before the 15th. 15th is not this Sunday, but next Sunday. So if we get a resolution, I could see us continuation of this breakout. If not, I think there will be a trend reversal. That's just my thoughts. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind. So let's jump into an, a caller question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen or Justin. I'd like to talk about URI, United Rental. I'd like to get an opinion from you guys. I once owned it. I once bought it at 126 and then I sold it at 129 and now it's already 152-ish. So I wonder, should I buy it again and won't, would it be a good price to buy? Uh, would love to hear it from your show. Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at United Rentals. This is the world's largest equipment rental company. Primarily operates here in the United States and Canada, and they lease commercial equipment, basically. About $11.5 billion market cap and about $22 billion enterprise value. I mean, they have about 11 to $12 billion in debt on their balance sheet and a market cap of about 11 to 12 billion. So there's a lot of debt here and it's a very cyclical business. And it's a business that in good times, the asset values, the residual values of the equipment are, re are relatively high because there's demand for that equipment and they can resell it at a pretty good price and they don't need to take a loss. And the people or the companies that are renting, they're renting to are paying. They're paying their bill. When times are tough, the opposite happens, right? Residual values on equipment is more depressed, more difficult to sell, as well as you have defaults from those renters. They've got to repossess, etc. So it's a pretty straightforward, simple business. And it's a good business in good times. Right now, the trailing 12-month return on equity is 33%. And long-term, it tends to be relatively high, except for 2008-2009. They nearly went bankrupt in that time frame. And let's go back to then. Yeah, the stock in 2009 hit a low of 4 bucks. Now we're at $153 per share. But the high was in early 2008 about $180 a share. And it broke down with the overall market back in December. So I'm going to say no. I don't like this. I don't like the technical picture. It's not cheap. They have a lot of debt, and you're late in the cycle. I would pass on United Rentals. It's another busy investor work week. You've got investment and financial questions, and Steve and Justin are ready to give you their unbiased guidance. 
The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so call now, 888-99-CHART. In Texas, she's looking at HCA Healthcare. Yes. Um, you own it? So Are you looking to buy it? Have, yes, we have. I own it through our employee uh, stock purchase plan. We get a 10% mm-hmm. discount. Uh, I purchase about $4,700 quarterly, and it um, it can be sold like the same the very next day. I mean, it's it's not okay. something we have to hold. And I just wondered what your thoughts were at a you know what would be a good price in your opinion. Um, for this stock, where you know where you think it's best purchased, um, I know it's had a, a little bit of a run up. Well, I have a couple questions first. So it sounds like you work for them, correct? I I do, yes. Okay, and currently, what percentage of your overall retirement plan is this holding? Oh, uh, I only own right now thirty-eight shares um, because I. Okay. I've, We've been selling it. I, I let you know. I want kind of watch it go up and then sell it. I see. Okay, so it sounds like it's a small percentage of your overall portfolio, which is which is good. Uh, now it's certainly yeah. a very good company with strong return assets long term that tends to be rel- relatively steady, strong free cash flow. Uh, but this is, and uh, you you know this, but they operate general 179 general acute care hospitals with. 46,000 licensed beds in 20 states and in England. So fairly well diversified in an industry that historically is relatively steady. But as you know, with the change in Obamacare and what might happen next with uh, maybe uh, Medicare for all, that could change the dynamics of the industry. So that's certainly the the risks there, right? And would you say there might be any other risks to the overall business? Um. Well, it's actually very well run, um, from what mm-hmm. I see. Um, mm-hmm. But you're you're right. I mean, I do worry. Uh, that's why I've not really held on to a whole lot, uh, just because it, yeah. it, it it does go up and down quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is yeah. You're right. It in uh, two, in July it was uh, around this level, 147 dollars a share. Dipped all the way to 114 early October, and now we're back to 140. Uh, but the business is relatively steady. They're growing pretty much every year. That's a positive return. Equity uh, is is relatively high. Their debt is you know forty. 35 40 billion dollars that's a decent amount of debt for a company of this size but i don't think with their cash flow it's un, un uh, unsustainable and i think their dividend is only 1% and that can easily go up cuz their pay ratio is only about 15% so i like the company long term I, I i would not be too worried about it uh i know there is that risk with medicare for all and i do think eventually we get there but like you said, they're well run, and we're still going to need hospitals, even if you have Medicare for all. Might change industry dynamics, true, but I wouldn't mind continue to buy this on dips into those, you know, 120, one, you know, 110 level. Those are areas that would absolutely be picking this up. But make sure it doesn't get more than maybe 10% of your overall retirement portfolio. That's a good rule of thumb. Okay. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be afraid to own a lot of, you know, a, a, a good chunk of this because, like you said, it's a very well run profitable business that will likely grow over time. Thanks for the call, Rhonda. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we present this program with five new shows each week. 
Monday through Friday. It's broadcast and streamed live in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time. And then whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to contact myself or Steve Peasley at our KP Financial office or explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, and subscribe. Please take a second to rate it as well at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. You know what my husband and I really want? I mean, after years of working and saving and investing, we want financial freedom. Financial freedom to do and live as we want. But our old 401k plan? It's out of date. It can't truly be working for us. You're listening to someone who would benefit from a personalized portfolio review. The kind of unbiased advice and sensible investment strategies offered in a no-cost preliminary consultation by KPP Financial. Sure, we feel confident about some of our investment decisions over the years, but retirement will get here someday, and we should cover our bases now. Get a valuable second opinion on your current financial picture. And KPP Financial doesn't impose unnecessary products or services, so you can make informed decisions with your money. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking and shared success. KPP Financial. Okay. This is Talk, and Steve Peasley is in San Jose today. He's already filled his calendar. However, you can put yourself on the list for a portfolio review appointment early in 2020. Steve's consultations are offered at no cost and with no obligation. Get your portfolio assets optimized with Steve's guidance. Learn more at investtalk.com or contact Steve or Justin Klein anytime at the KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California. The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bob in Sacramento. He wants to look at UNG, which is the natural gas ETF, correct? Yeah. Okay. And why do you want to Thank buy natural gas? Call. Or do you want to short it? Um, no, I, it looks really low right now. And um, natural gas usually in January to April goes up. And I was wondering if you think that would work this time? Or do you think there's just so much gas out there that... Well, we're definitely in an oversupply of natural gas, and it's driving some of these natural gas producers actually out of business entirely. So I think we're at the start of that, so where a lot of those names are on the brink of going bankrupt. I think I've heard of one or two so far, but it hasn't been to the level that tells me that there's been capitulation and you know, supply has been shut in, right? And and so many wells have been shut down. Now, certainly the number of rigs operating here in the United States for oil and natural gas uh, have been declining so far this year. So that'll eventually feed into prices, and you've seen that a little bit in oil, but not enough in gas because I think there's, there's a massive oversupply uh, of gas, and I think there needs to be more bankruptcy in the sector for you to have a protracted upturn in natural gas. Now I'm looking at the chart of UNG, which you know isn't a perfect mechanism because it's uh, it's owning futures, so it tends to be more volatile, and there's uh, there's losses that you take by 
uh, rolling those futures, etc. So it's not going to move with natural gas long term on a one for one basis. It's going to have some loss of carrying those futures. So I don't like that. Uh, I, I, but I would, if I'm going to play this space, I would try to find the best natural gas producer, maybe one that pays a nice dividend, and you're going to have much better upside in the in this in the instance that natural gas does turn around. But like I said, I don't love the dynamics of the industry right now, and I think there needs to be more of a bloodbath in bankruptcies and you know companies reorganizing, etc., in order to reduce supply enough to get prices moving higher. And just the overall trend remains very, very weak. So I'm passing on UNG for now. Wait till you see the news that all these natural gas companies are going bankrupt, and that will be a great time to start thinking about picking up ones that maybe have much better balance sheets, will be able to get over to the next side of the cycle, which will be an uptrend in natural gas prices, but that could be another two, three, four years off. So I don't love it right now, but I like your thinking that it is cheap. There will be great values, just not yet. Thanks for the call, Bob. My main talking point today concerns corporate debt. Debt load, good segue here with potential bankruptcies of these natural gas companies. And it, and total American debt load, corporate debt load, is nearing 40%, 47% of the overall economy, which is very, very high. And the IMF is actually worried about it. U.S. corporate debt has swelled to nearly $10 trillion. And because of low interest rates, companies have been incentivized to issue debt at very low rates. Twitter just went off, uh, I think an eight-year bond yielding 4%, double B plus, so junk rating, only 4% yield. Very, very low. And central banks pushing interest rates down have encouraged financial risk-taking. When we say financial risk-taking, what I mean is borrowing money to buy back shares to pay large bonuses in the form of stock issuance. And this leaves a lot of these companies susceptible to shocks. And it means the shocks will be amplified in the corporate space. Why? Because companies will need to deleverage. They'll need to lay off workers, maybe sell buildings, sell assets in order to shield themselves from potential bankruptcy and hemorrhaging cash flows in a down economy. So in a recession half as bad as the financial crisis, corporate debt at risk of not covering interest expense with their profits could increase to $19 trillion, or almost 40% of the total corporate debt in major economies, according to the IMF. And everyone asks me about where the next crisis is. And I, oh, I've said this for about two or three years now. This is likely where the next crisis is. It's, it's kind of plain as day. The next down cycle is very unlikely to be driven by real estate. Enough lessons were learned. Enough problems were fixed. Were all the problems fixed? No. But... You have to look where excesses are, misallocations of capital in this cycle, and it's clear it's been concentrated in corporate debt. 
Now, the next invest stock, according to one of the largest housing databases, the home sales will drop in 2020. Steve's going to talk about that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, I was calling because I had a question about understanding the price of a stock compared to its earnings. I just don't understand how is it that sometimes a stock can be very cheap on price to earnings, but expensive on the book value and vice versa. Sometimes the stock can look really good on book value, but expensive on price to earnings. I was hoping you could explain that. Uh, thank you very much. I listen on podcast. Great question. And it simply comes down to the answer that accountants are very creative. And accountants can be creative in multiple ways, either towards book value, right? Valuing assets either lower or higher than they really should be. Or it can just be the natural progression of the type of assets that are on a company's balance sheet. I've talked about this before where book value is simply a balance sheet measure. And if a company owns a building, they're going to depreciate that building over time, maybe 20, 30 years. But is that building, and on the balance sheet, it's going to be basically worthless after 20 or 30 years, whatever that depreciation schedule is. But what if that building's in New York City? And that's their headquarters. It's still going to be worth a lot of money. Even though on the balance sheet, it might be worth very little or nothing. G did this a lot back when they were beating earnings by a penny every quarter. This is one of the reasons they got into big trouble over time because they manipulated accounting, etc. And that's why they're in the situation they're in. But what they would do is they would sell a building and turn that building into profit, right? Because it went up in value. And maybe they do a, uh, they'd sell it and lease it back, right? Or you know, they would lease it uh, from whoever bought it. And that would manipulate earnings, right? So that's how you flow that into earnings, where you can make balance sheet or assets be manipulated in certain ways in order to boost earnings or maybe depress earnings. That happens a lot with, they call it the kitchen sink quarter. Somebody's having a tough time. Maybe you have a new CEO come in. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to book every expense. They're going to write down every asset and hit earnings dramatically in a short period of time. Why? Because then they don't have to worry about that in the future. They've already marked that down and taken losses on all of those things that are just not doing very well. Right? Maybe they made a bad acquisition. The last CEO did. So they can manipulate earnings both ways, So, as well as book value. So that's why companies can look cheap on one metric and expensive on the other. That's another reason why I don't love using book value or earnings as the basis of my valuation, whether a company is cheap or expensive. I much rather use things like cash flow. 
things like EBITDA, things like operating cash flow, free cash flow. And I like using enterprise value versus market cap. Because these things are less easily manipulated. Not that accountants can't make things look a little different than reality when it comes to those metrics. But it's much harder. There's less mechanisms for them to do that. And it gives you a clearer picture of how the business usually is performing. And certain industries have their caveats, etc., and companies. But... It's a much cleaner and easier way to analyze businesses. So that's why when everyone says, oh, the P ratio of X, Y, and Z is this. Well, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Because the P doesn't give me the whole picture. Whereas enterprise value gives me a much clearer picture. And the E is the same thing where I would rather use something like cash flow, free cash flow, EBITDA, etc. So start to really dig a little deeper into valuation metrics, metrics for how companies are performing, profitability metrics, margin, and not just what the snapshot is today, but also what the trend is. Because that is many times equally as important. Is growth accelerating, decelerating, flat, going negative? How is that looking over the past three, four, five, ten, 10, even 15, 20 years? All those are much more valid ways to analyze a business than simply a P ratio or even book value. Great question. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about earnings and the current earnings picture. And once again, earnings in and of itself for an individual company can be manipulated. But when you're looking at, say, the S&P 500 as a whole, it's a lot easier to use earnings because those accounting gimmicks often are filtered out when you're looking at hundreds of companies or thousands of companies. The outliers are kind of washed out in the numbers. And because the S&P is at new highs, investors have kind of shrugged off really tepid earnings growth this year. And we know over the past three quarters, earnings are negative year over year. And more than a third of S&P 500 companies have posted year-over-year decline in earnings this year. And the last time that high a percentage of the S&P posted contracting earnings was 2009, 2008, and 2002. All times when we, are, we were in recession, which is pretty interesting. Just shows you how divorced the market is right now from the reality of earnings now. The bull argument would simply be, well, those earnings are dragged down by the trade war, and the trade war is about to be over, and the tariffs that we put on China and China put on us are going to go away, or at least be drastically reduced, and therefore that drag on earnings will now be a tailwind to earnings. And we will soon be lifted out of this earnings doldrum and into growth. That would be the argument for the market being where it's at today. 
but it also goes to show you how important this narrative of we're going to get a trade deal is to the market. Trump even said today, things are going well. But he's been saying that for a year and a half now. And still no deal. I think this is where the big problem lies. Look at the ISM numbers. You look at earnings. Clearly, business is not doing well. But there's a lot of bots. There's a lot of algorithms that are simply buying on headlines. And the big question is, will the headlines actually come through to fruition? And we have 10 days. November 15th is when those tariffs kick in. And I think that's judgment day for the market. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And as you make your investment choices, there will always be a bit of fear that creeps in the judgment process. And I understand that. Fear comes from the perception of risk. Whether you realize it or not, there's risk that you're taking. Even if you haven't lost money on an investment, doesn't mean you didn't take that risk. You did. You take that risk of getting in a car accident every day when you get in your car. Because you didn't get into an accident didn't mean you didn't mean that you didn't take that risk, right? And that's the same with the market. So my advice for dealing with that risk is to define your comfort zone, kind of your speed limit. Right? If I, if I told you that I got from point A to point B, could you tell me how much risk I took getting there? On the road? No. But what if I told you I was driving 120 miles an hour the entire way? I got there, but did I take risk to get there? Absolutely. Or what if I told you I drove 35 miles an hour the entire way? That would be far less risk, right? So it's important to understand your speed limit of what type of risk you're comfortable with. You can calibrate your risk tolerance over on our website, investtalk.com. You can take our free risk questionnaire there. But for now, I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Mike from Florida. I just had a question about a stock, whether it would be a good time to purchase it or wait. It's uh, Occidental Petroleum, OXY. I don't know about the, uh, is this a good time to get it or not, or should I wait? So if you'd uh, let me know on the air, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, looking at Occidental Petroleum, and this is a name, I believe... Warren Buffett just uh, recently put, purchased some stock in, and it's about an 18, sorry, $34 billion market cap 
revenues of about 18, 19 billion trailing 12 months, but their business is suffering. Uh, they're not doing too hot uh, when it comes to quote unquote profitability. Uh, it's been declining. Uh, they made $5.01 2018. This year, they're supposed to make $1.80 and only $0.99 next year. But the price has turned and reflected that downturn in profits. 2011 was its high back in 2000, uh, sorry, $110 a share. Now we're at $38 a share. And I think it is relatively cheap at these levels. And we like it. Uh, now, the dividend of 8.2%, that is likely going to be cut. So be aware of that. They have a lot of debt. Uh, their business can't support this level of dividend for a long period of time. So business needs to turn around, and they bought Anadarko, Anadarko Petroleum, so they're still integrating that, squeezing efficiencies out of that. Uh, they've ramped down spending for this year in order to deal with a level of debt and get their business back in line with their historical trend, which is very, very profitable. You, know, you go back uh, 10 years, and return on equity was in the mid-teens all through 2009, 2013. And it's been kind of choppy since. But their cash flow remains relatively strong, $2.2 billion in free cash flow in the trailing 12 months. And on a $40 billion market cap, that's pretty good. Sorry, $28 billion market cap, that's pretty good. Even if you go about enterprise value, $90 billion, that's still pretty good. So there, there's certainly a lot of risk there. I wouldn't expect that 8% dividend to be sustained in the long term unless their business turns around, but it is very cheap based on revenues, based on cash flows, uh, and that's why we like it. But understand, it is definitely a high-risk name. Let's go to Chris in Walnut Creek looking at SPHD, which is the Invesco S&P 500 High Dividend Low Vol ETF. You looking to buy it? You own it? Yeah. Um. No, I, I'm looking to buy it. Uh, I, the, the stock hasn't gone anywhere um, in about a year. It pays a 4% dividend. And just thinking of a defensive move, is this, you think, maybe a good stock to buy? Good entry point? Well, well this think? isn't a stock. This is a fund. So I, I, I always want to clarify yeah, that yeah, for yeah. everybody. Yes, yeah, this is a fund. So you're buying a basket of stocks, right? And the basket mm -hmm. of stocks are, the, I'll give you the top 10, Iron Mountain, AT&T, Kimco Realty, which is a, a large REIT, Altria Group, PPL Corp, another REIT, uh, Weyerhaeuser, Philip Morris, etc. some utilities in there. So fairly broad, fairly broad diversification, mainly concentrated in REITs, real estate, 23% of the fund, energy, 13%. Financial services, 17. Utilities, 13. And consumer defensive, 10. Okay, so, um, you know, I don't love it simply because of, I, I, I'd rather be more defensive. I think it's, it is def more defensive than the S&P, but it's not defensive enough for me. And the yield isn't high enough for me. So I just don't love it at these levels. Um, so I would pass on this. And there's been a lot of flow into these low vault ETFs. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve financial freedom. Our work continues after this break, so get your questions in now at 888 chart What makes a stock fit into a certain category like emerging markets? Or what's your question? 
Why not ask it now at 888-99-CHART on InvestTalk. talk according to one of the largest housing statistic databases home sales will drop in 2020 and the housing shortage could become the worst in u.s history that story tomorrow but now justin klein is here ready with answers and he's waiting for your questions call justin 888-99-CHART hey justin and steve this is keith from redondo beach here I got a question for you on when to shift investments between, say, stocks and real estate. And I'm talking actual physical real estate here. Is there a ratio or other indicator that you would look at to say, hey, now it's time to pull money out of real estate and put it in stocks or the other way around? I guess you could use a REIT to some other stock index to do that. But I'm wondering if there is some simpler or more basic or fundamental way. Anyway, thanks a lot for your help. I'll listen for your answer on the show. Bye-bye. Well, first off, that's very difficult to say because real estate is very localized. If I'm talking about Miami real estate versus Bay Area real estate versus New York real estate versus Ohio real estate, it's going to be a very different discussion both in the current valuation as well as long-term trends. Right, so first off, th that's a caveat there. Now, when should you sell real estate? A lot of that has to do with with uh, affordability. How expensive is that particular market in relation to rental parity? And what is the historical premium over rental parity that that market is selling at in general, right? Because typically, it depends on the market. You know, here in California, you know, I live in Laguna Beach, California. The rental parity here, it's never going to get there, right? The cost to rent in Laguna Beach is far less than the cost to own. But if I could buy a house, maybe only 20 to 30, maybe even 50% above rental parity, that's historically pretty cheap in relation to what Laguna Beach usually trades at. Usually trades at about double rental parity. And the cost of owning it, carrying that piece of property, is double the cost of actually renting it. And that's just the history of Laguna Beach real estate of going back 30, 40, 50 years. And every market is different. Now there are also trends economically that can change the dynamics of a particular market. Think of the Bay Area, right? Before Silicon Valley, back in, you know, you can go back into the 60s and 70s, there wasn't quite that premium before Silicon Valley really took off in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Now there's a massive premium, and that premium will likely 
stay relatively high over the long term as long as the tech industry stays there. Now you have more money going into Texas, for example. Phoenix, Arizona. Different areas, Salt Lake City. Denver. There's a lot of markets that long-term economic trends I think are going to be pretty good for that. So it's very difficult to say, oh, you know, I should sell real estate right now and move it into stocks. Because which real estate are you talking about? So I'm going to use one metric. I'm going to look at rental parity of that market versus historic average. But then you also have to look at where equity prices are today versus historic metrics. You know, you look at the Cape uh, Schiller PE ratio. What does that look like? Right now it's relatively elevated. Does that make this a good time long term to be investing in stocks as well? And then you have to think too, I think even more is what do you want? Where do you want to start allocating money longer term? Do you want to be a landlord? Or do you want to kind of set it and forget it and be more hands off? And that would be investing in stocks. There's a lot of variables at play. And that's why you kind of got to sit down, talk it out and weigh what's right for you based on your needs and the current situation. That's what we do for clients. So if you need help with that, feel free to reach out to us, give us a call. We can jump on a call, sit down and talk. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow and I'll be hosting again on Monday. Please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And be sure to listen, review, and rate. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.